Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Next week, cinema fans will get an intimate look into the careers and marriage of famed couple Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward in The Last Movie Stars. It's a six-part documentary premiering July 21st on HBO Max. Now, the documentary also highlights their dedication to art and philanthropy, a commitment to philanthropy that continues to thrive under the Newman's Own food company based in Westport, Connecticut. In its 40th year, Newman's Own has a new philanthropic mission. Today, where we live, we talk with Foundation President and CEO Miriam Nelson. And later, we learn how philanthropy is helping contemporary arts nonprofit Real Artways expand the ways it serves the greater Hartford community. Now, you can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Share a comment on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. Joining us first on Zoom is Miriam Nelson, again, president and CEO of the Newman's Own Foundation. Miriam, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Lucy, for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. I know many of our listeners are familiar with, of course, the Newman's Own food products. Uh, I understand this idea uh, all started way back when in the kitchen of Paul Newman and a friend around Christmas time. Tell us the story. Well, that's very true. I mean, really 40 years ago, Paul Newman came up with a radically good idea to sell his homemade salad dressing and to give away 100% of the profits to great causes, especially children. And and you're right, he was brewing up his homemade salad dressing with a friend. um, And he gave it out to all his friends and they said, this is so good, you should sell it. And he decided, okay, well, let's try to sell it. And and lo and behold, this is back in 1982. And lo and behold, uh, it it flew off the shelves. And then at the end of the year, when the profits came, they saw that they had profits over the cost of actually doing business. He said, let's give it all away. And uh, that first, from that very first year, that was the most radically good idea. And I, I really think it was, um, he, he really, really developed the first purpose-driven brand, if you think about it. Um, we still give 100% of the profits away, and the profits go from the sale of the delicious food, salad dressing and frozen pizzas, and everybody loves the lemonade. Um, it goes to the foundation, and then we uh, do great work with it to, to really have impact for children who are facing adversity. So 40 years later, this turned into what, nearly 600 million of giving it all away, Miriam? Yeah, we're on track this year to reach the 600 million mark. And uh, 207 million of that has gone directly to Connecticut-based organizations. 
Wow. So when you think about your customers, uh, do they think of themselves as donors? Uh, talk about that relationship that you have and, and how you're hoping uh, with this new mission that we'll be talking about that customers will have a better understanding of where the money's going. Well, I, I you're absolutely right. I believe very, very much that when somebody buys a salad dressing or, or salsa or pasta sauce, what have you, um, they are a donor and what we are working on now is to make it very clear uh what somebody is donating to so um starting this summer and into the fall you're going to see more stories on the back of the packages you're going to we're, we're really amping up our social media we're getting the message out as we are today um so that that our donor base, um, the over 220 million people who buy our food in the country, and we'd love it to be even more, um, that they uh, feel that connection to the good work. So let's talk more about uh, the causes and this new mission. I understand, you know, the focus on children is something that Paul Newman um, was very serious about uh, from the very beginning. There is the hole in the wall gang camp, I understand, for the seriously ill children. But what got him interested? Uh, give us a little bit more about the backstory about why children. Yes, well, you know, Paul Newman died in 2008, so we don't have him here right now, but we have uh, a lot of his interviews and his writings and really what he founded. And in 1988, or just before 1988, he had this idea that children who were facing serious illnesses needed to be able to be children um, and just, uh, as he called it, raise a little hell and uh, have fun. And so he founded the Hole in the Wall Gang Camp in 1988 in, um, in Connecticut. And uh, now there are 30 camps uh, across the, the world, um, the Serious Fun Network of Camps. And these camps have provided uh, one and a half million uh, life-changing experiences for children. And the, the key here is that they're completely free. So these children and their families get this respite and the child can be with people like themselves and to have a great time. I, I've uh, visited Hole in the Wall Gang camp now three times. I was at another camp last week. Um, they're, they're really, they're, they're, they're so inspirational. Um, so the camps have been central and we knew um, that Paul cared deeply about the camps. And so children, I mean, it really comes down to supporting children. And we also support uh, another organization that, that does work in Connecticut, which is Food Corps, which is bringing uh, nutrition education and access to healthy food to schools um, in uh, across the country, but, but also working in Connecticut. So there, there's a, a number of, of different areas that, that we are supporting that really focus on kids. You're hearing Miriam Nelson here on Where We Live, president and CEO of Newman's Own Foundation, again, celebrating its 40th anniversary this year. If you have a question or comment, you can join us, 
888-888-9677, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I mentioned the camp. Uh, obviously, summertime, it's good to hear that uh, children um, have access uh, uh, to these activities and this time away, as you mentioned, uh, Miriam. I understand that this camp had also undergone a serious fire about, was it a year ago? So tell us uh, what's happening and how you've been able to rebuild. Yeah, so um, so uh, the the hole in the wall gang camp in uh, in the winter of last year had a serious uh, fire, and one of the main structures in the central part of the camp was completely um, burned down. And um, uh, we were able to support the camp with a million dollars to help rebuild, and others did too. Travelers Insurance as well came came um, through, uh, and that is slated to open later this fall. And I was up up at the camp um, not uh, in early June, and it's extraordinary to see the rebuilding, and they're building better than ever. And it really showed the spirit of the camp and how radically good it is that everybody has come together, including the contractors and everybody else. Um, it was really amazing. The other piece is that the firefighters um, during the fire were able to save the rest of the camp. So it was a, an incredible effort. And for the children, uh, since this is a camp for seriously ill children, I imagine you know, there must be a demand in you know, how families are able to access and, uh, the camp uh, in terms of demand and thinking again about the, your, your commitment to keeping it free. Yes, well, it, it's um, really through the serious fun network of camps um, that we support, and then the, the the resources go out to the individual camps. And each camp also does their own individual development work. Um, but it really has been a central tenant to make sure that these remain free for these children, so that there's access for everyone. They also, beyond just the physical structures, um, the the various camps reach out to um, uh, hospitals and communities and into homes so that that children regardless of where they are they have access um, to this work I've mentioned a couple times about uh, the, the change in mission and I wanted you to tell us more about you know how you're thinking about um, even going beyond uh, these other services for children but focusing on on children's health specifically Miriam Yes, we um, uh, so, uh, when I when I started in in uh, January of 2020, um, working with the CEO of the food company because there's two different pieces. There's the food company, and then there's the foundation. We recognized that we needed to be more strategic um, with our philanthropy, and we also wanted to be clear on where we could have impact. And we know that. Um, you know, kids need our help more now than ever, and that Paul Newman believed that nourishing a child's spirit is just as important as nourishing their body. And so when we really looked at what we had authority, the space that we had authority to be in, where we had authenticity, where we knew we could make a difference, um, where we knew we could have um, really the greatest impact, it all came down to kids. And so that's why now we are really 100% uh, in support of kids. Um, especially those children who are facing adversity. And uh, I feel very good about it. And I feel that that's where we can have the best impact. 
When we think about children uh, that are facing adverse adversity, children with adverse childhood experiences or ACEs, you know, this is really important because uh, they're at more risk, uh, you know, as they as they grow in terms of well, you know what they're experiencing now. Can you talk about that, Miriam? Yes, I mean, about 34 million children will will face at least one significant adverse childhood experience. And obviously they range, you know, from illnesses or loss or uh, food insecurity or housing insecurity. There are a number of different things. And children don't have the same agency as adults do um, in terms of their ability to change their environment and change their space. So if we can be supporting organizations that are helping to um, to really empower those kids and to make sure that each kid can reach their full potential, that's where we feel like we're being radically good. And uh, you know, children, they, they just need a little bit of extra help. Um, and these organizations that we support get to do that. Uh, Jackie's calling in from East Windsor. Jackie, you're on the show. What's your question for Miriam Nelson? Hi, uh, good morning. My question is a follow-up on what we said earlier about the, the foundation and food sources. I wanted to know what the foundation is doing with regards to getting locally sourced foods. I'm very interested in Connecticut and uh, Mass, Rhode Island, our, our area. Like, What are you guys doing to secure? So procure locally sourced food and provide that food to schools and then also through that um, provide support for local urban farmers. Uh, yeah, thank you, Jackie. What a wonderful question. So we, we do this in a number of ways. Um, one is through our support of, uh, support of Food Corps, and Food Corps is working across the country um, and also deeply in the state of Connecticut. And in that work, they connect with um, more regional and local food systems to make sure that those foods can be procured and then served in the in the schools. Um, they collaborate with the Farm to School Network, which is a national network. Um, the we support a number of different other local organizations in um, Connecticut, but really our, our biggest effort is through Food Corps, and that's uh, both in the state of Connecticut and nationally. And what they've seen is through their work that um, when they're working in schools and it uses uh, an AmeriCorps um, model. So they have a young professional that's also working in the schools to help make this happen that, that three times more fruit and vegetables are consumed in schools because of the hands-on learning and the access. And many of these foods are now coming from um, more locally sourced regional food systems. Really important work. You're hearing Miriam Nelson again, president and CEO of Newman's Own Foundation, celebrating its 40th anniversary this year. We're going to continue talking with her after the break. And if you have a question, you can join us too, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. 
Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Newman's own foundation in Westport, Connecticut, has shifted the focus of its philanthropy to child health, in particular, focusing on children with adverse childhood experiences, or ACEs, who are at risk for diseases later on. My guest is Foundation President and CEO Miriam Nelson. She's a highly regarded scientist in the area of public health with a special interest in nutrition. Now, coming up, we're going to hear from nonprofit Real Artways about its expansion of programs to serve the greater Hartford community. How do you decide which organization to support where you live? What's your favorite nonprofit in Connecticut? You can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Miriam, I understand you founded the John Hancock Research Center on Physical Activity, Nutrition, and Obesity Prevention at Tufts, where you were a professor. You also worked with First Lady Michelle Obama on our Let's Move campaign. So I'm wondering if you can talk more about what you're bringing to the foundation and its emphasis now on on shifting and and helping uh, children. I, yeah, I, I um, come from an academic background, and my 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 um, my studies and research has been in social change, especially around nutrition, nutrition policy, and public health, um, with especially with children and with women's health. And so, I brought I've tried to bring that expertise um, and uh, and knowledge to. Uh, help to think about how we at Newman's Own Foundation can have the greatest impact. So when we think about our uh, funding, it's not just writing a check. Um, That is part of what we do, but it's how do we connect different grantee partners? How can we amplify the work that they are doing by telling the stories on the back of packages of our salad dressing and pasta sauce and frozen pizza? Um, And they taste great. And then people get to read about our grantee partners and to learn more and to engage more. So we're really trying to think about a strategy where we can amplify this work and really create systemic change so that children all around the country will benefit and will have really more enriched and and better lives. Mm. Uh, You became uh, president and CEO of the foundation before the pandemic, and I'm wondering how the pandemic has influenced uh, your change in the mission and what you're hoping to tackle. Uh, yeah, I started, as as you know, in January of 2020, and then by March, we were in pandemic mode. And 
I feel like we were really well prepared and we did a lot of thinking right when the pandemic hit, like, well, should we shift our philanthropy? Should we, um, should we do something different? And what we decided was those organizations that we support in Connecticut and elsewhere, we really wanted to, to stick by them because they were already doing such good work, especially for children. So we, we really, um, it, it, our, our, our mantra about being radically good was never more important as it was as those early stages of um, the pandemic. So we didn't shift very much. Um, we really doubled down and wanted to make sure that those organizations we were supporting, um, that we stuck by them um, during that time. Now, uh, part of uh, your focus, uh, I'm curious if you could tell our listeners about something called Soul Fire Farm and how that's benefiting Indigenous youth, Miriam. Oh, yes. Well, our Indigenous Youth Project is one of the the um, the the areas that we are focusing our work across the country. Uh, and Soul Fire Farm, led by Leah Penniman, um, is in New York and is really doing extraordinary work around Black and Indigenous um, folks and communities and really thinking about food sovereignty and bringing the power back to people around food and using that farm and the community to really connect people, connect people to food and then to uh, economy and to livelihood. It really has, it emanates out um, throughout the, her whole community. And I, we just love Soul Fire Farm. Another one that's in Connecticut that we support is the Green Village Initiative that's in um, Bridgeport. And I mean, these projects are very inspirational. And I, um, you can go to newmanzone.org and you can read more about all of our projects and, and volunteer, get involved, support those, those individual organizations. But um, we, the lucky part of my job is that I get to see this work and, and really see how it's having um, a radical impact in these communities that they serve. Again, you've been hearing Miriam Nelson here on Where We Live, President and CEO of Newman's Own Foundation. Miriam, thank you so much for spending some time with us this morning. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure, and, and thank you for doing this good work. Thank you. We, we appreciate your time. Uh, joining us now on Zoom is Will Wilkins, who's Executive Director of Real Artways. Will, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks, Lucy. Nice to be here. That's good to hear from you, and I thought it would be a great time to talk about some of the new initiatives Real Artways has um, for the greater Hartford community. And let's start with the children. Can you tell us a little bit about a community garden that you're developing? Uh, sure. Um, you, you know, Real Artways has been in the building that we're in uh, since the 1980, 1989, and we've done for 32, 33 years, we've done programming in the little park that's across the street. And we bring all kinds of activities for the kids. And we've recently uh, gotten some uh, support to renovate a little garden area where we're you know, just kind of giving kids the opportunity to grow things, which is such an important, uh, important activity, important thing to be aware of. Um, to learn more, Tina Parzali is joining us. Uh, Tina, you're with Raw, and you're going to be working on this program. Welcome to our show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. And it's Parzial, sorry. Uh, so, Tina, uh, tell me a little bit more about uh, your role and about the, this this program coming up. 
Sure. Um, so I'm the learning and engagement manager at Real Art Ways. This is my fourth summer with uh, Real Art Ways and with this program, Park Art, which is a totally free drop-in, a low registration art making program that's held in the park right across the street from our organization. Um, every summer for the last, as Will said, the last 33 years, we've been out there just engaging with the students and bringing all these different resources into the neighborhood. Um, a lot of different professional artists and uh, opportunities to go on field trips and engage with other really great organizations in our city and in the greater Hartford area. Um, specifically this year, we're kind of revamping this garden that was installed um, several years ago by working in partnership with um, Knox and a few other um, organizations to just really bring awareness and access to growing food to the kids. Um, we are going to be putting a lot of emphasis on nutrition and how basically taking students through, like, this is how we plant the seed, this is how it grows, and now that it's grown, this is what we can do to harvest it and how we can use it. So we're really just trying to work on creating that access, lowering that barrier, um, and just spreading the knowledge so that our hopes are that these young people will take that information back to their families um, and really just, again, create access and information um, and really just connection and engagement with the physical land um, where they live. They live on this land in Parkville in this very diverse, um, multicultural neighborhood, and we want them to really feel pride in that and a sense of ownership and excitement about where they live. And how is the community responding? You mentioned first Park Art and now that this community garden. What are you hearing, Tina? So a lot of what we're, well, a lot of who we're interacting with are the young people because that's who we um, interact with the most. And um, every day they tend the garden. We weed it. Well, we've planted it. Then we weed it. We water it every day. And um, every day at the beginning, the question is, when are we going to go water? Um, so there's a lot of excitement. And we've been talking about all this, this whole process the whole summer. Um, so they're really looking forward to it. There's a lot of excitement, a lot of engagement. Um, and, you know, also the adults in the neighborhood are kind of getting their hands in the soil. Um, and, and I think people are just excited um, to have this space and to have these, um, these resources. As I mentioned, Will K. Wilkins is here with us, the Executive Director of Real Art Ways. So, Will, I wanted you to, to add to what Tina shared. And when we think about, you know, the expansion of programs, you know, why is it important to have park art as well as this, this community garden? Well, I think, Lucy, I'm kind of imagining who's listening to your show right now and wondering you know, how many of them actually know about Real Artways and, and what it is, uh, because I think that's where you start. What's the organization? What's its mission? And for us, our expansion is all based on our mission. Real Artways was started in the mid-70s by a group of artists who moved into an empty space in downtown Hartford and just started using it to live in and to make work. There were painters, there were performers, there were video makers. And the organization has evolved from that as an what they called an alternative space with the idea that it was like, it was an alternative to kind of mainstream institutions. And it was really about taking chances. It was about experimentation. It was about doing things that were, were different and new. And we've carried that spirit 
right through in everything that we've done. And now this new enterprise for us is uh, is an expansion. And it's really based on the idea that uh, while Real Artways, we're innovative with our programming. People might not know, but we do film programming. We have gallery exhibitions. We do concerts. We do dance uh, events. We do outdoor social events. And so we're innovative with our programming, but we're very conservative and cautious when it comes to finances. So what we've done in the last year is we purchased this building, 56 Arbor Street in Hartford, that we've been a tenant in for about the past 26, 27 years. And we are right now in the process of doing a few different things. We're going to be expanding. So we're planning that expansion. We want to go from one movie theater to multiple movie theaters. We want to have more places for performing arts. We want to have a social space so people can connect with each other. So we're going to have a cafe built into it as well. And at the same time, the building houses a lot of creative activity, a lot of creative businesses, a lot of artists who are in that building. So we're going to maintain this building as a place where creativity can thrive and the conservative and cautious part of it, the building generates revenue. The, the whole plan is based on the idea that we can become more self-sufficient. We'll never be entirely self-sufficient because of the social mission of what we do, but we wanna become more self-sufficient, more entrepreneurial in terms of how we survive looking forward. So we're, gonna, we're expanding our program. And at the same time, we're purchasing this building which has all these tenants, and then we're working out various new ways to connect with community. And that it sounds it's oh, and will it sounds great to be uh, you know, self sufficient, and we're really excited to hear about again the purchase and expansion of the Arbor Street building. But when we think about park art and the community garden, I mean, why is that so important to have as part of all that you do? Well, one of the ways that I I think about it is that. You know, Real Artways is an organization with a national scope. We look across the country. Examples of that are some of many of the artists that we've presented who've gone on to more prominence. Real Artways has presented a remarkable number for your listeners who are familiar with the MacArthur Fellows, the MacArthur quote unquote Genius Grant Awards. Real Artways has presented a remarkable number of MacArthur geniuses typically before they get the award. 40. It's a remarkable number. But all of that, you know, that 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 national significance and the, the fact that we had Kahinda Wiley, the artist who's famous for his portrait of President Obama, he had his first solo exhibition at Real Artways. All of that's important. So we're not a neighborhood arts organization, but what we are, we are a good neighbor. And we've been a good neighbor in Parkville for the whole time that we've there. We've been there. Some of your listeners might be familiar on, in Hartford on Park Street, there's a big Parkville sign that goes over the, the street. That was a real artways project in which we included neighborhood residents as well as designers and architects to judge a design competition to select the winning entry, which is that sign that, that people see. We've commissioned and produced 40 public art projects in Hartford and several of those have been in Parkville. An example, we, when we opened our movie theater, we uh, an artist, Liz Miller, did video portraits of people at the senior center in Parkville, 
and we took those video portraits and showed them before our screenings of, of movies in our cinema, portraits of individuals who were living in Parkville to give people a sense of what that neighborhood is like. We participated in neighborhood planning processes and continue to be deeply involved in the neighborhood. So we're not a neighborhood arts organization, but it's so important to be a good neighbor. Mm -hmm. Tina Parzial is still with us. Uh, Tina, I wonder if you can expand on, on what Will shared. And again, uh, with your time that you've spent uh, working at Raw Real Art Ways and what you've heard from the community. Yes, absolutely. Um, so we are, so because our program in the park is a mainstay. As Will said, we've been doing it for, this is our 33rd summer. Um, the students really kind of look forward to it each year. And we've gotten to the point where we have the children of students we worked with when they were in their youth, bringing their kids back. So there is this intergenerational um, connect, connection and um, relationship that we've built with our neighborhood over as I said, the last 30 years. Um, and I think that it's our responsibility and in our privilege to continue to um, work with everyone and do what we can to um, share our resources, our access to these resources and these, and these funds with all of the people that we live among. Well, Tina, thank you for coming on and telling us about some of the work that you're doing at Real Art Ways. Uh, Tina Parzial, thank you for your time today. Thank you. Still with us here on Where We Live is Will K. Wilkins, Executive Director of Real Art Ways. After the break, we're going to talk more about what's lined up this summer at Real Art Ways. And you can join us, too. What local nonprofits do you support? 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up tomorrow, how will the overturning of Roe v. Wade impact reproductive care across the U.S.? On the next Where We Live, OBGYNs share their expectations and fears in a post-Roe world. We want to hear from you, that conversation tomorrow. Now, today we're talking with Real Artways Executive Director Will K. Wilkins. It's been a gathering place for artists and the community for 47 years. As we heard, the nonprofit is expanding to do even more. You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Will, I understand you got a, a great phone call recently announcing an unexpected grant. Yeah, that was such a it was such a wonderful thing, Lucy. You know, uh, just out of the blue, we we heard from an organization, a new foundation that's been started up in in uh, located in Wisconsin to fund arts organizations across the country, and they said, "Hey, congratulations! You've been selected for this uh, you know preliminary award, along with a number of other uh, arts organizations nationally, uh, to get support from the Ruth Foundation." And uh, yeah, I, I wish I got a phone call like that every day. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> but it was just, 
it was really reaffirming and it was reaffirming for for a couple of reasons number one they knew about our work but it was also how they had heard about real artways work they share uh, with real artways a commitment to artists and what they did is they asked a number of artists to recommend organizations for funding and real artways was recommended by an artist with whom we've worked uh, who's done some really wonderful projects in Hartford when we worked with her, but around the country, including a recent uh, uh, project that's in Penn Station in, in New York City. So, you know, getting that kind of support, it's a real reflection back at us at our commitment to artists and community. So yeah, it was real energizing, very grateful for that. Mm. Can you talk more about how you support engage with, with local artists, Will? Sure. I mean, the, the, the thing about it is you want to have support for local, regional, national, and international artists. And each of those things is reflected in one way or another in our community. So we, we don't, when we, but when we present artists and we present an artist who's in the area, we don't frame them necessarily saying, here's a local artist. We say, here's an artist, just like an artist who might be of national significance, an artist who might be regional or international. So we, almost all the time on our walls, we have at least one or two artists who are in the region and creating a context where people can connect with each other is equally important. So it's not just about, oh, can I put my work on the wall? All artists have this strong desire to have their work be seen but a lot of it comes out of a social context. You know, you think about art school, think about art, artistic neighborhoods. People need people. We all need each other so much. That's one of the reasons we started our monthly social event 20 years ago this year. We call it Creative Cocktail Hour. And of course, like everything else, it's been impacted by the pandemic. But we're up and running again, and we have a few hundred people coming. It's once a month, the third Thursday of every month, and it's open to the public. There's a, there's an admission charge, um, but we we really see it as a place where all different sorts of people come together, and that's people of different backgrounds: black, white, brown, Latino, gay, straight, transgendered, young, old, city, suburb. It's a wonderful mix of people. And one of the things I think about living in Connecticut is while there is great diversity and a great range of people in the state, it doesn't, people don't always rub elbows with each other. They don't always have that opportunity. So we very consciously have built this monthly event on the third Thursday of every month as a place where all sorts of people can come together and especially people who define as creative artists, other people who are involved in creative enterprises have a chance to connect with each other. It's, it's such an important part of life. And I think sometimes here in Connecticut, we spend a lot of time in cars. We spend a lot of time kind of driving through and around and those opportunities to connect with each other face to face. Post pandemic, I mean, we're, I think we're all feeling it in one way or another very strongly. That's such a human need. And I think it is it fosters creativity to connect with each other in that way. Sometimes we all need to get together in a parking lot and dance, Will, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Take us back to that time when, when uh, with COVID, you know, obviously Creative Cocktail Hour not happening, when it was able to, to come back. What was that like? 
Well, you know, we we were closed for a few months when COVID started, but we thought it was really important in general to be open again as soon as possible. So we reopened in the end of the summer of 2020. Uh, We started with outdoor movies and concerts. Uh, We did a whole series of movies that were musically themed and brought in bands with that. We reopened our movie theater indoors in October uh, of 2020. So Creative Cocktail Hour took a little bit longer to create because it's so social. And, and, you know, we began to come back last summer. Remember last summer in July, people were thinking, oh, we're kind of coming out of COVID. And then all the various waves subsequent to that set us back on our heels. Well, we'll see this summer people are out, you know, can be outdoors. They can be with each other. We've got a, a band coming in on this next Thursday is the Creative Cocktail Hour. I mean, a week from tomorrow. Um, and it's a it's a band called Mamas Baba Ganoush. I actually just heard them on national public radio, um, and they they're on a, a, a tour that they originally planned at, when the pandemic was happening and had to postpone it. And it's kind of, they're kind of an unusual band, excellent musicianship, but they're a klezmer band from Denmark. So I, I can't use words to describe what they are. You're going to have to come and see it yourself. Uh, but that's the third Thursday. Uh, and this this month, it falls on the 21st, a week from tomorrow. The Creative Cocktail Hour, it's, you know, it might sound like, oh, it's about drinking. And yeah, there's there there's that option. But it really is about people connecting with each other. I said dancing, but OK. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, some people connect those two, two, two things, too, Lucy. Well, Will, when we think about uh, the expansion uh, for the listeners who may not have uh, visited yet uh, Real Art Ways, talk about the new cafe and the plans for more movie theaters. Well, I don't, I don't want to get people all too excited because we are <laughs> in, the early, in the beginning stages of planning all this. We're, we're raising money. We're working with the architects and the designers and the, all the construction people. And so this is all going to take place, but it's not going to take place. You know, it won't be done probably for another year and a half, two years, maybe a little bit longer than that. But the idea is to have multiple movie theaters, exhibition spaces. So when you come, you're not just coming to the movie. Um, you're, you're coming into a context where you're going to be around people who are interested in new, new ideas, who are interested in talking about movies. And as part of that, we're going to be creating a cafe that people can hang out in. It's not going to be like a fancy place, but it's going to be a place where it's going to be quality. And, you know, one of the things about our our state, our state tends to be very separated by color, very separated by money and resources. It's the, the, the unusual situation where you have people coming from a variety of backgrounds all in one place. And part of the experiment of Real Art Ways is to create that context where different things can go on at the same time that attract maybe primarily different audiences. And then the idea of the cafe is that all these people from different places can come together. Now, I, I don't want people like imagining the Star Wars cafe, but it is some, the idea is something like that, that it's an opportunity for people who otherwise wouldn't get to know each other to get to know each other also an opportunity to see people who you know and people who you have a lot in common with and to connect around that. I think the social aspect of enjoying art, enjoying movies is so important. We like to go to the movies. We love to talk about the movies. The experience of seeing contemporary art 
for sometimes for people, it can be befuddling and indeed off-putting sometimes. People are like, what does this mean? What, what is it supposed to be? You know, is this for me or is this for somebody else? There's a, a kind of a, a tone of elitism that often comes with uh, contemporary art and art in general. And I think that having people being able to talk with each other about it, you realize that the experience isn't just on the walls. The experience is in our heads. It's in our hearts. And finding a way to connect with people brings that out. So that's really what real art is, is about. Again, you're hearing Will K. Wilkins here on the show, Executive Director of Real Artways. You can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. You know, so often uh, we think about uh, COVID and, and how it has been uh, challenging for so many organizations. We know that the art ecosystem is so important in our lives. And I'm wondering if you can talk about, you know, how you're working with other groups in our state uh, to help them as well, uh, because it seems like Real Art is thriving? Well, we've been really fortunate, um, specifically around COVID. Dr. Sten Vermond, who is the head of the, 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 excuse me, the, the School of Public Health at Yale, has conducted a series of workshops, I think something like 20, 25 workshops over the course of the last two years for uh, nonprofit arts organizations in Connecticut. Through the generosity of spirit, he just started doing this and we have all benefited so much from his expertise. Number one, when, when COVID was rampant and treatments were fewer, how to keep people safe is something we learned a lot about. Concepts of public health that you could apply to your institution and your organization. And dozens of organizations in Connecticut participated in that. So shout out, if he's listening, to Dr. Sten Vermin for all the good work that he did uh, helping us wend our way through this very complicated and confusing time. But, you know, I feel like things we're, we're kind of, you know, the, the COVID isn't exactly in the rear view mirror, but we've made our way through and, and we're really looking towards, you know, you know, what comes next. You know, I was, I was really struck by your earlier guest, Miriam, uh, you know, from the Paul Newman Foundation, and she was talking about trauma. And one of the things about a contemporary arts organization is that we can engage in programming about almost anything. It can be history, it can be the natural world, it can be the environment, and we're doing all of those things. We have a program called Science on Screen, where we bring in scientists to talk about subject matter that's in a film in, in really interesting and engaging ways. And we just showed this film called Resilience, uh, The Biology of Stress and the Science of Hope which was actually produced by, you know, somebody here in Connecticut. And it was all about childhood trauma and what can be done to address it. So we're able to, to engage with, with that. And we, we've done other, you know, science on screen uh, movies about forests. We're doing a series of programs about forests and climate change, working with Professor Susan Messino at Trinity College. We, you know, have uh, we had a big program about mushrooms. We showed the film Fantastic Fungi. There's so much in the natural world, in the built environment, about how people interact with each other. And it's all subject matter for Real Artways as a contemporary arts organization. We just have a couple of minutes left, Will. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about your staff when we think about uh, your your expansion and bringing on uh, more people and uh, to be part of, of Real Art Ways. 
Well, you know, uh, staff and board are so, so important to any nonprofit organization, any any enterprise at all. It's about a team. And so for us, one of the things we're real excited about is our board is evolving in really interesting ways. We've always had artists on our board uh, because Real Art was, was started by artists. Uh, so it has... We have that sense of creativity. We also have in our board individuals who grew up in Hartford, and uh, including our newest board member who grew up right across the street from Real Artwebs, and uh, and that sense of of you know none of us can do this alone. We all need each other. Uh, creativity doesn't happen in a vacuum. We tend to uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, valorize the individual as the source of all creativity. And I think in, that's part of it, of course. But in reality, community and, and, uh, and teams are oftentimes where really important things happen. So, you know, staffing, we love, one of the things I'm really proud of is we give young people in Hartford an opportunity to get you know, entry-level jobs at Real Artways and become part of our staff and an important part of our staff working in different program areas. So we try to be a place where, you know, people can use Real Artways as a step along their growth. Give you an example. I've been at Real Artways a long time. I started, you know, 32 years ago. The first person I hired at Real Artways back in 1990 was a very talented woman by the name of Ann Pasternak. And Anne, um, we did wonderful things. We did public art projects, worked with artists like Mel Chin, uh, group material. But Anne, for the last six or seven years, she's gone on to a wonderful career in the arts. She is the director of the Brooklyn Museum, one of the great museums in our country. And she, you know, had, she was the first person I hired at Real Artway. So we've had a, a number of people who pass through and, you know, give us uh, an enormous amount while they're here and then move on and do more good things. Staff is and board, so important. That's Will K. Wilkins again, Executive Director of Real Artways. Thank you so much, Will. We appreciate your time today. Hey, Lucy, thanks for having me. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Sujatha Srinivasan. Our technical director is Kat Pastor. We'll put out links to these great organizations on our website, ctpublic.org slash where we live. We'll be back tomorrow. <laughs>